yoga students. I'm Brenda C. Epley from Green Tree Yoga of PA, and I welcome you to the Yoga Discovery Podcast, sponsored by Green Tree Karma, makers of products that are good for you and good for the environment. It seems to me that our first podcast should start at the beginning. I'm often asked, how old is yoga? 1,000 years? 2,000 years? More? In actuality, there isn't a firm start date that every scholar agrees upon. Let's turn our attention to the Bronze Age, during which we find the great and vast Indus Valley civilization of ancient India from approximately 2600 to 1900 BCE, meaning before the Common Era. We are looking at a period that is nearly 5,000 years ago. You may have heard that yoga is 5,000 years old and from this time, but there isn't any definitive archaeological evidence to support this claim. Some scholars suggest that ancient seals from the Indus Valley civilization date to this period. These small stone seals may have served as a type of currency or as someone's personal seal, but we can't say this is accurate. One seal in particular that has come to be known as the Pashupati seal is responsible for the claim that yoga existed 5,000 years ago. The image in this one seal is of a three-faced man who is sitting in what appears to be lotus posture and surrounded by animals. Some scholars believe the image to be of Shiva, who in later texts is also referred to as Pashupati. But this claim is highly debated, and scholarly opinion generally doubts that a single seated figure is representative of a yoga posture. In other words, the Pashupati seal could very well be of a figure who happens to be seated and not in lotus posture. For whatever reason that at this point is lost in time, the artist who created the seal decided to depict a seated figure, and some scholars would say that yoga is much older than the seals of the Indus Valley, although we don't have any written records to support this theory. This time period is void of written texts. Fast forward to the Vedic period, the period that scholars generally designate as occurring from 1500 to 200 BCE in India. This rather giant leap ahead is because there is no other archaeological evidence that yoga existed prior to the Vedic period. The word yoga first appears in the world's most ancient scriptures, known as the Vedas, and comes from the Sanskrit root word Yuj that translates to yoke. No, <laughs> not an egg yoke. Instead, yoke refers to the harness that was used to join animals together, usually for the purpose of work, such as plowing a field or to a charioteer who yoked himself to the chariot. Therefore, the word yoga means to join together or union. The Vedas, of which there are four, are the most important sacred texts that form the foundation of Hinduism and are comprised of songs, mantras, and rituals. The Vedas were first passed down through an oral tradition in ancient India. Seers and sages, known as rishis, are credited with bringing the Vedas to fruition. The word Veda translates to knowledge. And why are the Vedas important? The Vedas served and continue to serve 
as a sort of guide or a, a manual for people to live by, and so heavily influence all aspects of Hindu life today. The Vedas are the foundational source for Hinduism. Although, as a body of work, the Vedas do not by themselves constitute a religion. The spiritual foundations of yoga is first outlined in the Vedas. Each of the four books are divided into four parts to include hymns, rituals, theologies, and philosophies. At the end of each of the four books is a philosophical text that is known as the Upanishads. The Upanishads contain the essence of Vedic teaching. Upanishad translates to sit down near. Picture a student seated next to their teacher while learning the knowledge contained in the Vedas. The Upanishads are one of the most important sources for the lineage and understanding of yogic principles. Yogic ideas that have been carried through the centuries are found in the Upanishads and include such subjects as meditation, breath control, ethical conduct, nonviolence, compassion, introspection, self-realization, and restraint of the mind. The Upanishads are also the first texts to introduce the concepts of karma, samsara, and rebirth that explain the differences in human experiences and what can be thought of as the human condition. It is in the Kata Upanishad that we see for the first time the use of a chariot to explain the inner workings of the mind. At this moment, try to picture a horse-drawn chariot. The chariot represents the body, the horses are the five senses, the reins of the horses are the mind, the charioteer represents the intellect, and the passenger is the self. In this image, the passenger pulls on the reins to rein in the senses, thereby yoking and causing the mind to become still. The Kata Upanishad goes even further and gives us the first definition of the meaning of yoga as the firm holding back of the senses and states that yoga is when the five senses together with the mind stand still, that they say is the highest state, that they consider yoga, the firm restraining of the senses, for yoga is the coming into as well as going out of being. The Upanishads also first explore the practice of yoga from a philosophical perspective that is articulated in a written literary context. The Upanishads are also known as Vedanta, meaning the end of the Vedas. Vedanta is a philosophical school that is based upon the teachings found in the Upanishads. Yoga's earliest roots are found in philosophy. Now, I know that trying to unravel ancient philosophy can seem like a daunting task. No worries. <laughs> the idea here, and my rationale for including these immense philosophical concepts, is to teach and remind you that yoga's earliest roots are not found in asana practice. More on that later. Another highly influential ancient text upon the evolution of yoga that arises out of ancient India and during a time that is known as the epic period is the enormously popular Bhagavad Gita, believed to have been written sometime between 400 BCE, again before the Common Era, to 200 CE, the Common Era. In the yogic timeline, 
The Gita is generally thought to have been written later than the Upanishads. The Gita is an epic poem that is part of the Mahabharata. The Mahabharata is a large body of work, so large that its length is equivalent to 10 times the length of the Iliad and Odyssey combined. The Gita, again, just a fraction of the Mahabharata, is only 700 verses in length, which is very short and is a must-read for any yoga student wanting to understand many yogic concepts in an easily accessible format. The story takes place on a major battlefield and focuses upon a discussion between a warrior prince and Krishna, his charioteer. The Gita is filled with thought-provoking philosophical questions that apply not only to yoga, but principles that shape humanity across the globe, such as how you can fulfill your life's purpose in the face of doubt while remaining free from pain and suffering. From the Gita comes the following quote, Yoga is the journey of the self, through the self, to the self. Tune into my next podcast that provides greater insight into the Bhagavad Gita. By the time of the Bhagavad Gita, yoga had clearly established roots. And while a single school of thought or practice is not evident, we do see that many of the philosophies contained in the Vedas and the Gita are also found in Buddhism, Jainism, and of course, Hinduism. If you think of yoga as a giant, massive tree, the roots of the tree contain the Vedas and the Gita. The trunk of the tree is formed from the text of the Yoga Sutras that is accredited to a man named Patanjali. Scholars wildly disagree on dating the text of the sutras, with one faction suggesting the sutras were written between the 2nd and 4th century BCE, and another placing the writing between the 1st and 2nd century CE. The renowned scholar Dr. Philip Moss has a compelling justification for placing the Yoga Sutras at approximately 400 CE. But once again, not all scholars are on board with Mass's conclusions. Scholars, too, are often divided over the authorship. The Yoga Sutras are largely attributed to the sage Patanjali, with some scholars believing there were multiple Patanjalis, or at the very least, that Patanjali had some help. I'm not here to debate or argue the origin of the sutras. Rather, the impact of the sutras in the evolution of yoga is of great importance. The word sutra translates to thread, and the yoga sutras contain 195 aphorisms. An aphorism is a very concise statement that reveals some moral or philosophical principle. I found the secret of the yoga sutras, Samadhi Pada by Pandit Tiganaya to be very accessible to students and a great place to start learning about the Yoga Sutras. The sutras define the purpose of yoga and provide a pathway for reaching a state of self-fulfillment and profound happiness and liberation from all things that obstruct you along your journey. Pretty cool, huh? I think many of us would find this insightful knowledge to be very helpful. For example, this is where the eightfold limbs of yoga are explained. Look to the sutras for a clearer understanding of the purpose of many aspects of what you encounter in a yoga class. 
The Yoga Sutras are so important to the evolution and principles of yoga that many teachers and students continue to read and reread Patanjali's work, each time extrapolating a new pearl of wisdom. And at least some of the sutras are required reading in most yoga teacher training programs. Readers of the sutras are continually surprised by the parallels between the yoga teachings found within the sutras and our daily life. You may be familiar with the concept of taking yoga off the mat and into the world. The sutras, particularly the sutras found in the first pada, or chapter, are most easily grasped as tools and thought processes that can support you on your journey to happiness. Although the Yoga Sutras discuss asana, which are the postures of yoga, as one of the Eightfold Limbs, you might be surprised to learn that the asanas of this incredibly important work are far more about guiding principles of the practice than the physical postures that are associated with modern yoga. You won't find triangle or half moon here. So how did we get from yoga seated in an ancient philosophical foundation to the many forms and traditions that are practiced today? Fast forward again to the 15th century CE for the next very impactful source material. The Hatha Yoga Pradipika. Pradipika translates to light or illuminate, and the Hatha Yoga Pradipika shines light and provides guidelines for a much more physical Hatha Yoga practice. It's the first text that contains both seated and non-seated asanas. But hold your hats! The earliest use of the word Hatha Yogina is in the 3rd century CE in a Buddhist text and means forceful or with effort. If this sparks your curiosity, I encourage you to look into the writings and interviews with scholar James Mallison and the Hatha Yoga Project. Back to the Pradipika. This text discusses 15 yoga asanas, some of which you may recognize as cow-faced posture, hero, fish, and shavasana. Until recently, the period from the writing of the Hatha Yoga Pradipika until the late 1800s was a sort of a, a void in terms of historical yogic knowledge. However, the discovery of several manuscripts illustrates additional Hatha Yoga postures totaling at least 84 after the 17th century. This includes complex standing and seated asanas. These recently discovered texts suggest that quite a bit of innovation was taking place in regard to asana practice, which, as seen in the texts, seemed to be growing in importance. The period in India from the middle of the 18th century to 1947 is when the British had colonized India. It's interesting that the majority of asanas that you will most likely encounter in a modern yoga class are relatively new in the historical timeline. If you're inspired to learn more about this period of yoga history, I suggest reading the paper that is titled The Proliferation of Asanas in the Late Medieval Yoga Texts by scholar Jason Birch. The contents include a chart of the known yoga postures in the period between the 15th and 17th centuries and a list of source texts. For fun, here is a description of two postures that are included in Jason Birch's paper. The first, lying supinely and having placed both elbows on the navel, 
The yogi should extend one hand at a time and hold the nose by the thumb with the gaze on it while supporting the position with the region of the hips. He should remain thus. This is the hatchet pose. And the second description, holding with one hand the toes of one leg, which is straight like a stick, and placing the sole of the other foot on the ground, the yogi should spin around quickly. This is the pole star pose. Time for a sidebar that I think many of you will find very interesting. There is no historical evidence to date that describes Surya Namaskara or sun salutations prior to the practices that arose out of Mysore, India in the 20th century. While sun worship was most certainly common in ancient practices throughout world cultures, the sequences that we associate with sun salutations in vinyasa classes is a very modern construct. This certainly doesn't minimize the relevancy or benefit of sun salutations in any way. And personally, sun salutations figure prominently into my practice. In 1893, the renowned and revered teacher Swami Vivekananda traveled to the United States to present at the Parliament of World's Religions. This event was held in what is now identified as the Art Institute of Chicago and hosted more than 5,000 individuals from around the world who represented many of the world's religions. His lecture, which drew a standing ovation, called for an end to religious fanaticism and focused upon the necessity of religious tolerance while referencing the yoga teachings of the Bhagavad Gita. For the majority of conference attendees, this was a critical introduction to yoga. Swami Vivekananda traveled throughout the U.S. and sparked a sort of yoga renaissance. His book, Raja Yoga, gave rise to a renewed interest in yoga that extended into the West. In the 1920s, the Indian yoga teacher Krishnamacharya evolved a yoga practice that placed an emphasis on the physical aspects of a flowing postural yoga that was greatly inspired by bodybuilding, wrestling, and gymnastics in Mysore, India. It is in this period that yoga teachers began to expand upon the physical practice that has become a staple of so many modern yoga studios. Although debated, Krishnamacharya is often considered to be the father of modern yoga. His students include some of modern yoga's most influential teachers. In 1966, BKS Iyengar, a brother-in-law of Krishnamacharya, wrote the international bestseller Light on Yoga that had a profound impact on the interest of yoga in the West as it included more than 600 photos of yogic postures that served as a guide for students. Time magazine listed Iyengar as one of the 100 most influential people in the world in 2004. Teachers of Iyengar today are known for their keen attention to alignment in asanas and the incorporation of props and undergo intensive training towards an Iyengar certification. Krishnamacharya's son and yoga teacher TKV Desikachar did much work in the area of therapeutic yoga and evolved the practice of vini yoga. Indra Devi, the author of the 1953 best-selling book Forever Young, Forever Healthy, heavily influenced the visibility of yoga when she moved to Hollywood in the 1940s and counted among her students numerous celebrities. Many credit Indra Devi with the explosive interest in yoga in America 
during the 1940s. The very controversial figure, Patabi Joyce, another student of Krishnamacharya, is often credited with creating Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga in Mysore, India during the 1960s that heavily emphasized the Surya Namaskar or sun salutations that are often part of modern yoga. If you are a fan of power yoga, look to Mysore for the roots of your practice. The modern period of yoga is witness to the rise of many traditions, all of which are seated to some degree in the 3,500-plus year lineage of yoga. Yoga evolved through the major time periods that I've cited here, whether you're a student of modern postural yoga that emphasizes asana, or your practice is heavily informed by meditation, chanting, pranayama, service, devotion, or philosophy, it's important to understand that yoga is ever-evolving. There is no one way to practice yoga. Yoga does not fit into a single package that can or should be delivered to every student. But knowing a bit more about the evolution of yoga, I encourage you to research the lineage that influences your practice today. You will cross paths with the controversies and debates, but along the way, you'll have epiphanies that illuminate the whys of what is found in a yoga class. Consider for a moment that if you're a gardener and you value a thriving, beautiful garden, what might you do when one of your exquisite plants dies and you can't identify the cause, rather than trying to regrow the same plant species that will ultimately lead to another wilted and decayed plant? You conduct research and try to determine if the soil and growing conditions are appropriate for that particular flower, right? In yoga, adding information to your yogic toolkit will only deepen your understanding of the practice. As you move through different time periods in your life, you will most likely need to adapt your approach to yoga. And just like your beloved plant, you will thrive and grow throughout your practice because of the knowledge found within your toolkit. Thank you once again for joining me today. I'm Brenda Epley of Green Tree Yoga of PA, and you can find me at greentreeyoga.com. That's green-tree-yoga.com. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Look for Green Tree Yoga of PA. Thanks once again to Green Tree Karma, makers of personal products that are good for you and the environment. Visit greentreekarma.com. I welcome your comments and insights that can be sent to greentreeyogaofpa at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please like and share. Next time, I'll be discussing the Bhagavad Gita and hope that you'll join me. Until then, be at peace and well.